Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row. Gonna make this start grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, third Saturday of the month. We have Jay Harper in the studio here 33 days away from autumn. Not that anybody's counting. Nobody's counting. And we come to the end of what is known as the dog days. And this one was kind of new. I got it from the Old Farmer's Almanac this morning. Uh, It's called Dog Days because of the dog star called Sirius in the constellation Canis Major. And the Egyptians believed that this star was uh, due to all things bad, the heats, the droughts, any discomfort. It gets the brightest this time of year in July and August, and it rises about the same time as the sun in the east. So that's where the term dog days came from, and it generally ends around August 11th. So technically, we're, we're past our dog days of summer. Well, you can sure tell, you know, that it's, it's not getting light as early. Um, there's just a little different angle to the sun, right? And, uh, of course, we've had a number of cloudy days and some rain and that, so it's got a different feel to it altogether than, you know, a month ago. And so, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> it never happens fast enough, though. We get, we get teased. You know, as we get into September, it's like, okay, it's autumn. It should be cooler, and it's not. (laughs) But it is funny how much better 90 degrees feels in the fall than it does in the spring. Oh, for sure. You hit 90, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. 90 in the fall, you're like, hey, we can go out and do some stuff. (laughs) Yep, that's right. And then those first, sometime about mid-September, the humidity starts going away, and then those first couple of nights when it's dried out that it actually cools off at night you're like oh this is this feels good <laughs> so yeah it, it's 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 coming folks it always does and you can come on with your calls and questions if you'd like for jay harper anything about your landscape garden one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you jennifer's call screening this morning and we'll get you in touch with mr jay harper and you can also text to four one one nine two three as well if you need to snap a picture for plant or insect identification you can send that to info at rosieonthehouse.com and if you're following along in our home maintenance calendar a free publication that we distribute to anybody who requests it um you know we're talking about fall garden soil prep because it is that time. Definitely time to start thinking about, you know, what you're going to do this fall. And some things are, some of my Yuma farm customers have started planting cauliflower and celery. Yeah, believe it or not, it's it's uh, it's beginning uh, on the commercial side. So <clears throat> that just signals to us that we need to start getting ready. Which gives you plenty of time. There's no big hurry um, on our side of it because we're not trying to get it to market or, you know, we don't have a contract to fulfill with somebody. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I just encourage you, number one, to go out there and probably the first thing you need to do is – I did this a couple weeks ago. is just kind of 
bite the bullet and tear out that old tomato plant. And <laughs> that was, some of the that, some of the stuff has just kind of been hanging that, on. It's real easy to tear anything out of the ground right now. Yeah, and it's easy to do. And you just kind of take your time over the next few weeks, and you don't have to kill yourself doing a little at a time. So getting rid of the old stuff, start working in some fresh organic material, maybe a little bit of gypsum to help with the salt situation, and just kind of slowly start turning that soil and preparing and and then watching your planting dates on things. And, you know, as we get uh, here in another about two weeks, as we get into September, boy, the list of things you can start planting uh, grows exponentially. Um, and so remember that, you know, our fall or winter or cool season crops are typically the things that we eat a root, the, the root, maybe the stem or the a modified part of the stem or the leaf of. So leafy things would be spinach, obviously lettuce, those types of things, all the different mixes of, you know, arugulas and yeah. kales and things like that. Uh. Yeah. I hear that kale. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. John, I got a question for you. Yeah. I've got like this giant inner cheapskate that lives within inside me. Mm-hmm. And so you say, just go ahead and yank the tomatoes out. I, I can do that because all I've been doing with my tomatoes is feeding the rats in the yard anyway. Right. Um, but my cantaloupe is is coming on pretty well. Uh, I've got eight okra that are still nice. producing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, my artichoke, it seems like it's just now ready to give me some fruit. Okay. Usually in the fall, I get to the point where I say, well, John would have told me to take that out a month ago. And so that's usually when I'm taking it out. <laughs> Can I kind of preserve some okra and artichoke and cantaloupe? Well, you know, I guess it really depends on space. Okay. If you don't need the room, um, they plant fall crops of melons. Okay. And fall cucumbers and fall squash. It's, you get a, another great little uh, – fall short season of those warm weather, typically warm weather fruits and vegetables, if you have plenty of room, you can leave them or plant another crop of them. Um, I've got, so, I've so got sure. eggplant and basil. Oh, we, eggplant's we, loving this we, and okra's we, loving this. We, right we, can, we can't even eat as much as comes out of the garden. Right. Yeah, eggplant and okra, you know, it can't get too hot for that stuff, and especially when the humidity kicks in. It really They're very happy it. right yeah, now. Yeah, very happy. I, I have a hard time, but I'll, 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 I'll abide by your rule. I'll go rip the tomatoes well, out. Well, here's my – I just think the tomato things is, is number – there's a couple things going on there. Unless they just look fantastic, which I guess if you took the trouble to shade them and do different things all summer, depending on the garden, maybe, maybe they look okay. But, you know, typically if they are – you know, first of all, they're an annual. They really are not – God didn't design them to be a perennial, to go season after season. You know, their, their genetic makeup is to grow fast, bloom, set a fruit, a crop, and then die. Um, we have summers like this summer where, you know, you start getting monsoons and cloudy days and they kind of perk back up. So they're really not designed to, to, to do what we're trying to do, number one. Uh, so you're kind of trying to trick Mother Nature. Number two... Let's get back to water. You know, trying to water them all summer and keep them going is, you know, I think 
a questionable use of resources, even though I know it's only one or two plants. And But if hundreds or thousands of people in the valley are trying to keep one or two plants alive that shouldn't be being trying to kept alive, that's that's some water. Uh, number number three, just sheer economics. A new a brand new tomato plant, you know, you can go buy here and right now probably, you know, for a couple of bucks, and it's going to be healthy and vibrant and growing. And again, remember they're an annual. They're designed to really grow fast out of the box. Boom, set of fruit, set blooms and fruit. So th- there's a number of reasons in my book. And then number three, really, wintertime is not. You know, you're only going to get tomatoes based on how long this little summertime hangs on. As soon as it gets cold, you're going to have to go back through the almost the same thing you did through the summer. You have to cover them, protect them from the cold, all that sort of stuff. When planting a new one come next February, you'd have lots of tomatoes again. So again, I, you know, I typically don't have enough room to grow all the things I want to grow anyway. Amen. So to try and leave something in that doesn't really need to be in uh, or is the wrong time of year to be in is is just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, but, I'm going to be here taking notes while y'all carry on the conversation about, okay, now here's the stretch we've ripped up and now it's bare and naked. Let's get it ready for fall. There you go. But if you got room, okra is going to keep going like crazy for a while yet. So good. You like that stuff, and so if we're starting from <laughs> uh, the first LS, the first LSU football game, I'll invite you over for a chicken okra gumbo. There you go. I'd love, <laughs> love to have some of that. The people that are starting from scratch, you know, you're talking about ripping out old stuff. Obviously, they've already got some of their soils, and they don't have as much work to do. But somebody starting from scratch for the first time, where where do we start? Okay. Well, number one. How? What kind of form is your garden going to be in? Are you going to grow just in the ground, on ground level, on grade, um, or are you do you have a raised type of a system where you're just filling up a you know a raised area that's got you know block or uh, wood sides or you know some and, type of deal? So depending on which way we're going, kind of dictates what we're going to do. And if you haven't seen it or you're not familiar and you're thinking about it. And you don't like to spend a lot of time down on your knees crawling in the row garden. Those keyhole style razor planters are pretty cool. Picture an old-fashioned keyhole where you know it's kind of a rectangle at the bottom and then there's a center on top where the shaft goes in. Well then, so you walk in there and then all you have to do is spin and 300 degrees, arm's length, all the way around is all your vegetables. So there's no bending. Not a lot of walking. You just rotate and turn as you harvest. I think that's one of the best designs for a raised planter that's that's out there. So so if you're if you're on grade and you just you know then you need to decide how big your garden is going to be. I'm I'm an advocate for starting pretty small and as you get better <laughs> expand it. Location is pretty important. Don't you know? Don't put it in a totally shaded area you know gardens need sun and they need air movement so you know don't put it in the most secluded protected corner of your backyard if you can help it Um, so a nice open sunny area that has access to sun and you can have plenty of access to get to it and 
drag your wheelbarrows and all that kind of stuff. So if we're going into flat ground, then, you know, for about every 100 square feet, every 10 by 10 area, we're going to want to put somewhere between maybe 10 to 15 cubic feet of some type of organic material, compost, uh, if you have your own compost, that's fine. Buy bags of compost, and and we're gonna and we're gonna till those in to a minimum of six inches, maybe between six inches and a foot deep. Along while we're tilling that in or working that in, we're going to use some gypsum, maybe about ten pounds per hundred square feet. And I like to then use some type of some type of fertilizer. I I, I think it's safest to use something. That's an organic type fertilizer like chicken manure or Bowden blood meal. You're not going to probably burn with those. Till all that in, and you're basically ready to go. You can join the conversation at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you. Ray, good morning, and welcome to the program. How may we help you in your garden? Well, you know, my garden is doing great because of all the rain we've been getting. Uh, you know, it's actually the best it's been doing in a long time. The problem I'm having is some, uh, some uh, beetles, but they're not squash beetles. I mean, I'm very familiar with I think these are kissing beetles. I'm not sure. Um, they're not eating my plants, but they're all over my, my mesquite tree. Well, have you tried point, kissing okay. them to verify? They're kissing no, beetles. No, 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 you know. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah. No, um, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, they just don't look like kissing beetles. I'm like, like uh, squash beetles, and they're not eating my, 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 my plants, but they're all over my yard, and I'm looking for a way to get rid of them. That's organic. Well, well the, first, the first, I guess, rule or lesson in, in pest control is, why do you want to get rid of them if they're not doing any harm? Because there, there's hundreds of them. Okay, well, if they are not visibly eating anything or causing any damage or uh, to anything, I, I, you know, that's I guess that's up to you. But I'm just asking if they're yeah. so so. Yeah, yeah. I just something we want to do because uh, I don't want them around. Okay, well then. Probably for uh, a beetle-type insect, something like a pyrethrins, which would be a natural insecticide, would be your best bet. You could also maybe use some diatomaceous earth around the base of those trees or the trunks. Maybe, you know, they walk through that and they pick it up in their joints and that, you know, lacerates them and they they dehydrate. Um, So I would probably try maybe a combination of those two things or... Even a an, an oil type spray. Just don't get in the warm weather. Get the oil spray on any foliage of anything. But they're on the trunks. You should be able to spray a a light oil spray, a pyrethrins, maybe even a mix of the two, and then use some diatomaceous earth around the the base or the trunks of the trees. When you mention an oil, that does remind me. Bonide makes that Captain Jack's dead bug brew. That's all organic and. It comes, Ray, in a, a number of different forms. You can have a concentrate and mix it and spray it, or it even has one you attach it to your hose, and you can just turn there it on go. and spray it right on it. Um, but I'm surprised you didn't mention the obvious one because you sell a byproduct of this animal, chicken. 
get chickens, you mean? <laughs> They'll go to town on those beetles. Yeah. You know, yeah. and Ray was concerned about his pets. And um, when you get diatomaceous earth, there is such a thing as a food grade. So we, we even use that in the horse pens. So even if they put their little muzzles on. Oh, you can stuff, feed like it kind of, to horses. Yeah, and that kills the, horse, kills the flies going through. It doesn't kill the horse. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so anyway, Ray, if you're concerned about your pets, be sure you get that food grade. And I know that like Western Ranchmen, any of the um, uh, supplies, supply stores, horse supplies. Feed stores. Feed store, that's the word. Thank you. <laughs> so hard. Where was he? Levine. Levine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stockman Feeds out there. Perfect. Out south of uh, 10. So there you go, Ray. We appreciate the call. Good luck taking care of them. Like you said, first off, if they're not doing any harm, why get I mean, rid of them? I mean, that's just then... kind of the, you know, if you're talking about responsible pest management, if there's no visible, you know, if they're not even being a nuisance, if they're just staying on the trunks of the tree and they're not getting on you when you're sitting on the patio and any of that kind of stuff, I, I, you know, I just don't know that it's worth the trouble to try and control them, but that's and, up to you. And it seems like with this weather and stuff, there are things that just kind of proliferate, proliferate and then well, they're gone, the, you know? The, bugs like the, the yeah. bugs like the rain too. So do the weeds, and if you're looking for organic ways, I, I, found, I clipped this out of the Epoch Times because I thought it was so funny. <clears throat> Five non-toxic methods for killing weeds. Boiling water. Do you know okay. how long it would take me to kill the weeds at a property with boiling water? <laughs> a while. I, I, I guess and, if you had again, a patio home. In a, in a state that's, that's uh, trying to conserve water, I would probably advise against that one. Uh, vinegar. All right. I, I could see that, that getting expensive depending on how big a size you're, you're working on. The Ultra Blue Dawn uh, soap sprayer. Uh, rubbing alcohol, but then this last one I, do, I have used before, the propane torch. And now is the time to use it when everything's wet. And you don't need a lot, just get an attachment. sounds like more fun. No, that sounds like Rosie. <laughs> that sounds exactly like Rosie. Sounds like a lot I got, more fun. I ordered a new big one. Oh. <laughs> and my, oh, man. my grandchildren There's a, love it. it. It will throw a flame four and a half feet. I saw, it's I, awesome. I saw a video the other day of a guy... And he was he was back burning weed control, back burning out of the out of the door of his pickup. So he was driving along, and he happened to look back behind him, and his pickup was on fire. <laughs> Do not give him any ideas, well, Jay. Well, here's another one for you, uh, Bonide. I just mentioned the Captain Jacks for the bugs. They've got burnout for weeds that works pretty good as well. It's an all organic oil. So there's a few options for you to organically control whatever's bugging you or itching you. Beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, cloud covered in scattered showers. I love it. Creosote smells wonderful. A couple weeks ago, we had somebody call and comment about a conversation we were having about how the forest organically composts and uh, drops all of the uh, foliage and you know you don't clean it up and it just creates this great soil and somebody's like well can I go with a pickup truck and shovel it all into my truck and take it I thought well that's a good question Jennifer actually had a great uh, opportunity to speak with Tonto National Forest about what you could or couldn't take out of the soil ever since Rosie and I had little kids one of our favorite pastimes has been to go out on the Tonto National Forest and just do all kinds of activities 
One of the traditions we've developed is that every fall we harvest prickly pear fruit from the prickly pear cactus. And we bring it home and we make it into syrup and jam. And if other people wanted to do that, I really wouldn't know how to tell them how to get started. So I have invited Drew Olberg, of the forest biologist of the Tonto National Forest, talking about how to harvest things from the desert and enjoy the desert and kind of the parameters of doing so. So good morning, Drew. How are you? Good morning. Just fine. Just fine. So how long have you been with the Tonto National Forest, Drew? I've been at the Tonto now four years. We have a lot of land. We have uh, just shy, well, 2.9 million acres. So just for the listeners to uh, give an idea how big an acre is, it's basically a football field with the end zones. So you have 2.9 million of those in your big backyard. And it is a big backyard. People from other part of the country, I don't, I don't think they maybe even realize how much land we have that we can enjoy. And we just, we don't have to have... For most things, you can just walk out there and do it. You just drive out in the, and get to enjoy. So, But I, what right. I wanted to talk about specifically today, Drew, was um, actually collecting out of the desert and the forest. And so, you know, like starting with um, maybe the prickly pear and the mesquite beans, things like that. How does one get started to know where they can go and where they can enjoy? Well, the best thing to do first is either go, you know, ask family and friends or go to websites and find out exactly where you want to go. Because we have so much public open space, you have to know if you're going on national forest land, state trust land, or BLM land. Everybody has slightly different uh, rules regarding collecting. Um, And I know you mentioned about collecting the, you know, the fruits of the prickly pear and families do have traditions uh, but we get approached often about, you know, collecting on a larger scale. And every forest, every forest even has slightly different uh, modes of permitting, types of permitting, because technically all plant material, the collection has to be authorized on a case-by-case basis. And certain species are really limited in the quantity that actually grow out in the wilds, but also what if you were to apply for a permit, what you would be approved to collect. Just one thing I'll focus on, because it's in the news a lot lately, is the saguaros. We've had quite a few large, devastating fires to the iconic Arizona species. And we get asked often, well, can I go out and collect the ribs of the saguaro? Can I go collect the dying plants and try to bring them back? we We don't encourage that. And actually, you do need... You do need several different types of permits to do that because the saguaro, as wonderful as it is, it's protected by the Arizona native plant law and some forest service policies. So basically collecting cactus and succulents, it's not authorized. And people do go out, you know, when we're not looking, so to speak, and they fill the trucks and then they sell them. It's poaching, basically. So that's devastated a lot of the landscapes that have been hit hard by other things as well, like I say, fires. For the land to recover and to be a beautiful desert into the future, collecting and harvesting has to be done with some forethought rather than just going out and thinking you can fill your truck with, you know, one type of, let's say, mesquite wood or, you know, saguaro ribs, because that's taking away from the general ecology and taking away habitat, believe it or not, for a lot of other animals, and even rooting spots for plants. Um, There's been some great work that's been done on the saguaro of how many different other plants and animals it supports, and it's quite a few. So the saguaro flowers are state flower. It also bears fruit. So Mm -hmm. with the saguaro being protected, can you harvest anything off of it, or are they just completely off limits? 
I don't want to say it's completely off limits. If you talk, if it's forest service that you want to go harvest off of, contact the local district ranger office and see if they will issue a permit. Um, it's not often it happens, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Okay. Yeah, and I think everybody wants to protect them. They are so majestic, and they are such a signature species to our beautiful desert. Well, let's talk about something that's not so protected. Then how about if I wanted to go out for the first time and, and collect prickly pear? Prickly pear are pretty abundant, and I know they're tasty, and I enjoy prickly pear jelly. And But that's, a, that's another species, just like mesquite beans and pine nuts, that you'd really have to talk to your the district ranger to see if they permit it. Some districts might be a little more protective than others because of either impacts from fires. What we think are common plants really are not common anymore. And as the climate is changing, their life cycles and patterns are changing, and they may not be producing as much seed as they used to. And so we're hoping to keep nature in its place in a lot of areas so it can reproduce. So the bottom line is really check with your local office to see if they will permit it. So how does a person find those phone numbers? The USDA website, the Tonto National Forest, you can easily Google that. Okay. And then on one of the, I believe would be one of the panels, probably the left panel of the screen when you pull up the Tonto Forest, will show you the names of the different districts, phone numbers. But we have the Cave Creek District up near Fountain Hills, Mesa, of course, down in Mesa, uh, the Globe District out in the, the town of Globe. Uh, that would be the far eastern part of the, the forest. But okay. those, are, those are the main ones. Wildflowers, are they off limits as well? The bold statement is yes, okay. because there are protected endangered plants. thing is, a lot of the wildflowers we see are really short-lived, and they need just that intense mm. short period of time to grow and put their seeds down so that future generations can see them. If a, even a small percentage of the 4.6 million people in the Phoenix metro area go out and harvest a small bouquet, we could be taking millions, if not hundreds of millions of seeds away from the natural environment so that future generations can see the beauty that we see after either the monsoons or during the, the spring flower flush. Drew Olberg, of the forest biologist of the Tonto National Forest. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Pleasure to be with you today. And you as well. Thanks, Drew. So that was made, made me think twice about harvesting prickly pear. So I did follow his advice. I went on uh, the website. I found it for you. It's Forest Service um, FS dot usda dot gov and then you can go on there you know arizona has uh how many do we have one two three six uh, or five forest right and so you, uh, you would need to figure out which forest you're wanting to go into and then each forest uh, has districts so if you on the tonto when you find tonto you scroll down to the bottom it gives you more districts so it's a little bit specific as to where you're going but i i tried calling the offices a lot of them are closed because of you know everything crazy how it is and they have very limited hours but they do answer email and they answer it quickly so I reached out and asked Tonto about harvesting my prickly pear and they said there's no restrictions just so unless you know unless an area is closed that you drive up to don't go don't go past barriers but you're welcome to get out there and get your prickly pear and I would say watch where you put your hands and feet (laughs) be careful out there that's, that's my only word of caution for anybody harvesting prickly pear this year there is an abundance of snakes this year yeah. and they love the base of a prickly pear so bring go your in, big stick go, and go in rattling. there with your walking stick and <laughs> sh- shake it around a little bit and speaking of closures 88 is closed between 
Apache and Roosevelt. Wouldn't you love to be at Apache Lake this weekend? <laughs> You'd have the whole place to yourself. Fish Creek is closed. 88's closed. You, all of Apache Lake could be yours. So you like, uh, got to skydive in or something if you got one wet docked. <laughs> hey, one quick thing. I posted on Facebook a picture of one of the forests that Rosie and I visited just last month. If you can guess which forest that's in, it's on Facebook. Just put it on there, you know, enter it. I have uh, six passes to the Arizona State Parks. And you said you. there's five. I'd never even thought about it. Can you name them? Tonto, Yavapai, uh, Coconino, Apache. I have Apache, Coconino, Coronado. Coronado. Kaibab. Prescott and Tonto. So Yavapai is not one. No, Prescott. 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 In Yavapai. <clears throat> Kayabab. Kayabab. That's a pretty one. I bet the I bet the North Rim is really pretty right now. Oh, man. Oh, no doubt. And cool. But all, the whole state's pretty. Even the <laughs> desert in a lot of places is, you know, it's not cool, but it's green. <laughs> it is. Looking south from our house to the white tanks, it's like it's, ooh, it's ooh, just ooh. like a green carpet over mm-hmm. it's like you don't see that very often Mm-mm. they were pre- predicting a more active than normal monsoon and it's definitely provided to be that so far so good but the, the biggie will be this winter and i'm hearing mixed mixed signals mixed projections so as far as the winter monsoon right as far as the winter snowpack uh, snowfall uh, moisture so i was reading a statewide monsoon report two weeks ago and it specifically stated that gila County is the one that has received more moisture as a, as it relates to average than any other county in Arizona. It's interesting, but I know Globe has had some huge rainfalls and floods, and it's going to make for a pretty San Carlos res. Oh, I hope so. Some of it's going that way. Think yeah. it'll fill up the lake? San Carlos. Oh, it take a lot to fill San Carlos. That's up. a big job. I think we're going to be getting a lot of calls on gutters and on rain harvesting after this season. Well, we'll talk about what you can do at your home and landscape and uh, to kind of counteract your water use in light of all the natural free rain we've got this summer. I'm singing in the rain, yes, singing in the rain, what a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. We had somebody. I bet Romy doesn't know who that is singing. Burl Ives? <laughs> no, close. that's not even close. Come on. I'm, go- I'm going to give you a... Who's the... Gene Kelly. Bird on my shoulder is the truth. Uh, my Who's... shoulder. Oh, that's a Walt Disney. Oh, gosh, you're throwing me <laughs> off now. Um, well, oh, zippity-doo. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, that's from know. Song of the South, yeah. Disney film. One of those two guys, I would think. <laughs> no, Gene Kelly. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say. Burl Ives is a big rock candy mountain, wasn't it? Or what did he? Big rock candy mountain. Anyway, we've got a plethora of rain, and we had somebody call or email in, I can't remember, last week and said, have I been doing something wrong because my trees all look great, but I've been, but I've had a, a decent watering schedule. I'm just like, you know, when, not only when the rain comes in, but when the foliage gets saturated, the ambient air temperature drops 20 degrees, the soils are wet. You just you can't duplicate that with irrigation. Well, and the and there's you know the nitrogen that's coming out of the rain um, makes a big difference too. So yeah, it's you you can water 
you know, you can duplicate the inches of water that you're getting, but yeah, you can't, the quality and the, the uh, nutrient value of the water is way different. So what, uh, how much water could we realistically be saving right now? Every landscape's different. Every water use is different, but I mean, I, I haven't had my lawn sprinkler on, I don't think in five weeks. Well, the only thing that I've had to water, supplemental water in the last two weeks at my house um, is my some of my pots. Some of the flat things I have in pots, they just couldn't quite get through it. So I'm going on Which a week. Which doesn't take a whole lot of water to water some no, container. No, no. I'm going on, I guess, my third week of having the water turned off. Um, I don't have any grass to water. So that might make a difference. But as far as shrubberies, and, and I don't have, I mean, I've got lots of citrus and, you know, some roses and some things that you would not consider necessarily drought-tolerant landscape. Um, and they haven't, they're going on week three with, of just rainfall. So Using any condensate from your AC? No. No? Mm-mm. Okay. And there's no shortage of that right now, for no, sure. That's... I think my hu my <clears throat> my little weather station. It's got a humidity and a temperature. And the humidity, oh, it was like at 83 this morning when I left. I don't think I've ever seen it that high. I've had a couple mornings where the 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 uh, windows in the house have been fogged, <laughs> a little bit foggy. Yeah, absolutely. You don't see that very often. Now, if somebody does still have a summer lawn, you you could still fertilize it one more time to give it a nice push to the end of September. Yeah, if you were, okay, so if you're not going to plant a winter lawn, then for sure you'd want to feed it one more time. If you're going to, to plant a winter lawn, you, you, you might not want, you know, you, yeah, you could probably still get one more in, but I'd be doing it pretty quick and, you know, probably not doing it much later than, Labor Day, so in another week or two. And, and, that, and that being said, the reason I would say to go ahead and do it is then if we can get people to stop scalping their lawns in the first part of October and wait till at least the middle or the end of October to scalp before they put their winter lawn in would be a big, a big help. Your, your lawn will be much healthier. Your winter lawn will come up just as good, um, might even take less water to get it to to germinate and come up. So, but that's not to say don't wait to buy your seed. I've learned that the last couple of years. Seed. My understanding is this year's seed. I don't know about being short, but it's going to be fairly expensive compared. You know, maybe even more than last year, and it was somewhat expensive last year. So, I think there's going to be plenty of seed this year, from what I've heard. But the prices, of course, once they get the price up, they don't like to go back <laughs> down. So. Doesn't come down off. But that being said, ryegrass seed prices for many years stayed about the same or went down a little bit. So it was overdue to have a little bit of an adjustment. And you had just mentioned uh, Labor Day. There's also that's another key gardening date. Fertilizing your citrus trees, for sure. Uh, we want to be doing that. And you can probably start anytime now. If you've noticed, if you have any citrus, they're starting to put on some new growth. You know, with all this, the rainfall and the humidity, and they're a and darker sort of green thing. than they were at the beginning of the summer. Yeah, yeah. So, certainly, uh, getting a little fertilizer to help them recoup 
some of that summer damage. I went from having some sunburned foliage on my citrus in a matter of a few weeks, a couple of rains, and they're pushing new growth. So they've recuperating nicely, and give them a little bit of fertilizer will help them continue to to go on. And again, you don't want to do it too late and push a lot of new growth into the cooler weather or just not have the fertilizer be of any value to you at all. But certainly coming up in the next couple of weeks, it's a good time to do it. And the reason you don't want that new growth is that's the foliage that's likely to get frostbitten if we have any kind of cool weather. Correct. Which is hit or miss. (laughs) Yeah, we can hope it gets that cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate your time this Saturday morning. Jay Harper, The Farm's Choice. You You were uh, anything on your gardening to do this weekend? Uh, yeah, I got a lot. Well, of course, after the rain, you get a little cleanup to do. But, uh, yeah, just kind of starting to evaluate and get weeds and junk out of the way to get ready to start planting. Well, we appreciate your time this Saturday morning. It's Rosie on the house.